morning, All Saints. It is my esteemed pleasure to be able to stand here before you all again, even in a modified virtual format. To those guests who are streaming from around Atlanta and around the world, thank you for tuning in to join us for the celebration of the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I am the Reverend Dr. Mark Jefferson, uh, Assistant Professor of Homiletics at Virginia Theological Seminary, and I bring greetings on behalf of the Dean and President of my institution, the very Reverend Dr. Ian Markham. I am here before you in part by invitation and in part by commandment. I've been invited by this august congregation to be able to share with you, but I've also been mandated by my boss that as our school seeks to push toward its 200th year mark, I've been asked to preach 200 sermons around the world and which will culminate on our anniversary. And so this journey has taken me near and far and has provided me an opportunity to be able to see the church in as many faces and as many perspectives. And so I am grateful to be able to share with you all again as it was our time around this time last year. I do not want to belabor our time, but I am indeed grateful that we are here. And for the time that's ours today, I'd like to share with you from this thought, the golden rule to a bankrupt nation. The golden rule to a bankrupt nation. Living in the Washington, D.C. area provides me an opportunity to see many things that I may not see elsewhere. I found myself at an intersection not too long ago, and I was looking at a bus stop. And the bus stop had a little different markings than the typical bus stop. There wasn't graffiti, no. There wasn't uh, so-and-so loves so-and-so, no. But there were a set of numbers on this bus stop. And the set of numbers that was on this bus stop struck me because they were so long, like in the trillions long. The Peter G. Peterman Foundation they keep a running estimate, a running clock of our national debt. According to the Peter G. Peterman Foundation, the national debt right now is 25 or $26 trillion and rising. So if you're unsure of how the math plays out, my sister, my brother, that is $83,000 for every man, woman, and child in this nation. Why is that so? How does a nation who is seemingly so powerful and seemingly so rich and seemingly on top of its game, so woefully and ineptably in its national state of perpetual debt? Some say that it is an issue of the inability to raise enough taxes for the expenditures going out. Yes. You have aging baby boomers who require more medical attention and other resources that have been provided for others, but now it's time for them to extract these benefits, and now these benefits are costing the working ones even more. Yes, we can find all the numerical and even the theoretical reasons why we are in so much debt. But my sister, my brother, what we suffer from more than anything else is a debt or an impoverishment of the imagination. And this debt and the impoverishment of the imagination speaks to a lack of soul that we have 
that we have not quite nourished. And now we find ourselves almost facing bankruptcy. It, it might seem strange that our nation could be up for bankruptcy, but astute historians of our nation will tell you that at least a couple of times our country has found itself on the brink of bankruptcy. In 1893 and in 1907, we found ourselves on the verge of being nationally insolvent. It took the Rothschilds and J.P. Morgan and other international financiers to pool their gold together to be able to lend it to our nation so that we can survive the rush on gold that was attached to the ways in which gold and the dollar were linked. Gold and the dollar are no longer linked and now we spend fiat currency, currency that's not backed by anything but the good old confidence of you and I. This debt that we find ourselves living in, this struggle that we find ourselves engaged in, this onerous weight of never being able to get free, it hangs around us like a millstone. And we are unable to find our way free. It was matters of this ilk, issues surrounding the economic, political, social, theological, and personal disenfranchisement of those living in this country that stirred Dr. King and broadened his vision for a broader community in which the world could then coexist. He says that we can live together in mutual inhabit as mutual inhabitants of this globe, or we can find ourselves sharing graveyards and cemeteries all across this land, this bankruptcy has now manifested in our day because it seems that the warnings that King gave us about militarism, racism, about economic injustice, the warnings that King gave us about our unhealthy national and international attachments, the warnings that King gave us now seem to manifest in our daily living. I feel somewhat strange standing here today because when I think about the political bankruptcy that we find ourselves in, it is strange to me that we live in a situation of pandemic. People can't get surgery, can't have shots, people can't move freely, so we can't get a vote for Medicaid for all, but we can vote on impeachment of someone who's leaving office anyway. I'm confused at how the issues that affect everyday people are the ones being obfuscated and put to the side and jettisoned as not material. Meanwhile, Wall Street continues to rage. The bull is still doing bull things. The market is still growing, yet the ranks of the unemployed, the homeless, the indigent, the left out, the cast aside, those drowning under thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, their cries are seen as insignificant because it is not striking to the political needs of those who we've put in front. And then we had the social ills that we struggle with. We had a mass insurrection on our places of government. Our society is, is 
fuming and a cauldron of bubbling frustration, trying to understand where are we going? Are we going to crisis? Are we going to chaos in community? Where are we going? We are seemingly wandering around, groping in the dark, hoping to find the lifeline. But this lifeline seems to not be found because it is these weights, these impediments, these sadnesses, these frustrations that are then embodied in ourselves, creating sickness and depression, sadness, isolation, so much so that the fabric that knits us together as human beings is fraying. The thread is now threadbare. And as churches across this country sit empty, we find ourselves wondering what will community look like. And if we are allowed to be honest today, the bankruptcy that we find in our nation, the ways in which we're unable to pay our emotional bills, our financial bills, we're unable to stay in healthy relationship with other nations and the people within our nation. That is not a new phenomenon because when we turn to the gospel passage, we see Jesus dealing with the ways in which we're living together. I like that a few verses back it says, Jesus, the text says that he was talking to the disciples, but then there were those who were also hearing what was happening. So there was disciple talk, but then there were those whose ears and hearts were open to this transforming word offered by the bread of life. This bread of life caused offense to people in John chapter 6. So much offense that people said, I can't even walk with this Jesus anymore. His teachings are too harsh for me. His sanitizedness is something I prefer because an unvarnished Jesus is a Jesus that found himself on the cross. It is this Jesus who came to change this world's order, to create order in this chaos that we've made in this cosmos. It is Jesus who is now coming to us, not just through signs and wonders. No, but Jesus understands that we can see a sign or a wonder and forget. Jesus said, I came preaching and teaching because that is at the crux of transformation. So now we have Jesus coming to these people, talking to these people, and he's saying to them, essentially, the ways that you live in relationship to one another are, ba are based and brokered on a bankrupt system that the world is offering. Jesus is saying, if you want to be nice to people who are nice to you, so what? You want to loan something to somebody who can pay you back? Sinners do that. Where is the extra weight of burden that comes with being a transformed person by encountering the life and the work and the witness of Jesus Christ? Jesus is saying to them, it is not about how you see yourself to be. That's important. But we need to go back to the first two laws and then the rest of those hang on those. Love God. And out of this love of God comes love of neighbor and of self. It is in these that fulfill the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying that, yes, thank you for listening to me. Thank you for following me around. But the evidence that you are not participating in this broken system 
of exchange and relationship is the way that you treat somebody else. The concept of the golden rule has Anglican roots. Though this principle has existed long before, it has particular roots in this context. Jesus is saying that I came so that you can understand that the ways in which you are living in relationship to your neighbor, tit for tat, I like you, so you like me, and we like each other, does not prove that you've been changed. That is just functioning in this world. But in this bankrupt world that we find ourselves in, a world struggling for identity, struggling for a future, struggling to make sense of insanity, this world is asking, where are the Christians who bear the name, who say they have the marks in their being of the crucified Christ? Where are they when the world is looking for hope? Where is the church when people are starving in the street? Where is the church when politicians stand on TV and lie to us day after day, trying to redeem the soul of a nation, whose ne that nation who already sold his soul to slavery? How are we going to redeem something without the lamentation that comes with looking at oneself and saying to oneself that woe is me, we are people of unclean lips. But Jesus is saying that if you're going to show and if you're going to demonstrate and if you're going to manifest what I've asked you to do, if you're going to go and manifest the golden rule to a world that is so broke and broken, you must learn how to be proactive in the work. This statement of do unto others as you would have them do unto you is stated in a positive way. You do because you want what you do to be done to you. For me, that's different than being in the position of don't do unto others what you don't want done unto you. Because the positive gives us the ability to then enact pressure upon the world to enact positive pressure on the future of humanity and not take what the world gives us. The negative action or the way of I want to not do because I don't want to receive keeps us in the passive position in which Jesus is trying to call us out of as this world spins and careens, rocks and wheels toward an uncertain future. The golden rule that we're being asked to pay attention to is not just because we're kind and young like a bunch of children but it's hard to do the golden rule when you've lived life and you've seen the ugliness of people and you've seen the mendacity of systems and you've seen the ways in which people have been oppressed and the ways in which people have been taken advantage of how can I go and give my best to a world that has constantly given me as a black man a black boot a black nightstick an unjust punishment and frustration. How can I ex exist in a world in which the golden rule seems to not work for me? But oh, my sister and my brother, I found Jesus' words to be even more true now than ever before. Because he says, if you love your enemies, if you do good, lend, expect nothing in return, your reward will 
be great. And you will be children of the Most High. We need those who are willing to confront this bankrupt world with the gold of the gospel. The gospel that says it's not about being rich. It's not about being famous. It's not about being a theologian par excellence or a preacher who seems to be having the situation going on. What's important to this text and what's important on this Martin Luther King Day is where are we going to go knowing what we've already seen? We know the actions that we've taken and we know where we are. But all saints and all saints around the world, what actions are we going to take to change this world? How often are we going to allow the world to rush upon us and demoralize and dilapidate our imagination so that we can't even imagine a new future? No, my sister and my brother. It is that beaten, battered, bruised Jesus, whipped and being excoriated. It is that Jesus. It is that, it's that Jesus who was not comely to look at. It's that Jesus who, with his brown skin being beaten by Roman oppressors, who finds himself able to forgive those who were beating him. So how can I abdicate myself from the golden rule when the person whose name I follow lived it until the end? That's what I appreciate about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He understood that when you tell God go, go may not come with the retirement plan. When you tell God, I'll go, it may not come with a pension. If you tell God, go, it may not come with a Google map that tells you all your stops on the way and how many miles you have to go. When you say, God, I'll go, you may not know where the future will lead. You may not know how long you're going to live. But all those things are inconsequential to the fact that God has given us an opportunity to strike a blow for justice while we are still yet in the land of the living. My sisters and my brothers, go with God. Go in the spirit of Martin Luther King, knowing that this world needs the golden rule more than gold itself. Because in that, they will find the God who sent the Christ who came to save us all.